Well, I know, I'm sure many of you didn't expect to see me up here at this point. Uh, Pastor Mark, um, you want to pray for Pastor Mark. He was potentially exposed to COVID in the last few days and has gone into some voluntary uh, quarantine for a few days to ensure that he's not contagious. And um, do any of you remember the series that Pastor Mark started last week? Plan B. (laughs) And he was going to, rather than him finishing it today, I'm plan B. (laughs) Okay? And so, um, but we, as we move into this message, you'll you'll understand, I, I don't believe there's any accidents that happen in life. I believe it's all part of God's divine plan. And so, this is part of a plan and uh, we will trust that God will speak to us together through this. You'll want to turn to Acts chapter 17 uh, for our text. And I'll get to it in just a little while. But um, we live, we're living in crazy, um, seems like out of control days, doesn't it? Just seems like everything's sort of topsy-turvy. Who would have thought just a few months ago that the entire world would basically shut down because of an invisible microbe? Who would have thought that? Who would have expected that in the land of the, the home of the brave, the land of the free, that as the election this fall is taking is getting ready to happen? that uh, businesses around the country would actually start to be boarding up their businesses in anticipation of the outcome of the election. Who would have thought that would ever happen here in America? We're living in strange days of turmoil. And it reminds me of, a, of something that happened to me a, a few years ago. I woke up one morning... And as I got up, sat up to get out of bed, everything around me seemed to be moving. And uh, the world seemed to be just sort of out of of step with what I'm used to. And the the floor seemed to be more like water flowing. And, uh, And I was grabbing onto things just to stumble into the bathroom. And I wanted something to be stable and steady. Now, it turned out that vertigo thing didn't last very long in my life. Um, It was easily corrected. Uh, But it reminded me that when everything seems to be out of kilter and sort of up for grabs, we want something to stabilize our lives with. I'm reminded in the Old Testament of a king... One of the kings in, I think it was first or second kings, Jehoshaphat, who suddenly was confronted with a, an allied army marching against him. And he wasn't ready for that. It's like his world was thrown out of kilter. And do you know what he did? He went to the house of God and he laid it out before God. And he says, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. That's the whole point of this message today. We need to set our eyes upon 
the Lord in these troubled days. I'm reminded of another story that, that I had read some time back. Back in the days of the Tennessee Valley Authority when they were setting up uh, energy uh, for their, that part of the world uh, in the deep south, they had uh, had a, 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 a dammed up a river in this one valley and they were having to move all of the residents out. And there was one particular family that lived in an old log cabin home, probably the oldest house in that valley, and they had built a, a nice ranch-style home for them up on the ridge. And uh, the day came for the floodwaters to come, and so they brought the bulldozers in and were ready to bulldoze their, that last cabin. They knocked on the door, and when the door was opened, the, the man of the house says, we're not leaving. We're not leaving. And trying to, they couldn't reason with the guy. It was, he just says, we're not leaving. So they brought a social worker in to try to make, get some sense and find out what was the issue going on. And finally, the man pointed back to the fireplace in that old cabin and said, see that fire? My grandpa started that fire over 100 years ago. Because he didn't have any, ma- and he kept it going all, these, all those years, for a bunch of years, because he didn't have any matches, and it was a long way to the neighbors. And when he died, dad kept it a lot going. He's kept it going all those years, and then when dad passed from the scene, I've kept it going for these last few years. We're not going to let the fire of our past, from our past, go out. We ain't leaving. <laughs> The social worker began to think, and finally she came up with an idea. She brought a big kettle, iron kettle in, and she said, what we can do is if you'll give me permission, we'll put all, load all that fire into this kettle, and we'll keep it stoked, and we'll keep it live, and we'll take you up to the new home, new beautiful home you have, and we'll see that that fire stays lit. You can keep it going up there. That turned out to be the solution. Isn't it strange how some people latch on to the most unusual things in a time of uncertainty and turmoil? They'll latch on to things that gives them a sense of stability and a sense of continuity with their past. The thing that we need to center our lives on is the Lord, and we'll see that in Acts chapter 17. In these days of turmoil, when most people, it seems, have sort of relegated God to somewhere out on the edges where that doesn't really make any difference in life, we who call ourselves Christians ought to make the Lord not just a figurehead of the center of our lives, but He ought to be the center of of the way we view life, the way we see life. Because the fact of the matter is, this world is changing rapidly. And, uh, and it's, it's like fail-safe in real life happening. And so, I want us to look at Acts 17 and understand that Paul addressed 
a society in Athens much like our world is today. Let's read. Uh, we're going to start at verse 22. I, 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 it'll be on from verse 24 on on the screen, but I'm backing up a couple of verses to give us a running start at this. But let me give you a little background on it. Paul and a, t- and a group of people were working as a missionary team. And things had gotten sort of out of hand. Up in Philippi, Paul and Silas were beaten, then thrown in jail in shackles. There's an earthquake, and then you know the story. But then they left Philippi, went over to Thessalonica, I believe, and preached the gospel, and it was there that things began to stir up as well. So his team sent Paul on ahead because they, were, they didn't want to risk having Paul uh, getting hurt or worse. So they sent him down to Athens to wait while they kind of cleaned up things and finished up the discipling and whatever they needed to do with the believers up, up there where they were. And then they were going to come down and join Paul. But Paul didn't sit still in Athens. He went to where the community leaders gathered which was a place called the Areopagus. And people gathered and would discuss issues of the day. Philosophers would talk. And basically, the world of Athens was pretty godless. They were religious to the point that they were superstitious. I mean, kind of like, well, these, this, some of these things out there in the supernatural might have some effect, but mostly life is what we make of it, is the way they approach life. Much like American life is today. We are pretty much living in a secularized society. And there were two kinds of people in Athens, two basic groups of people that were both godless. They had left God out of the picture, but they approached life little differently to try to get meaning out of life. One were the Epicureans, and basically they believed that the key thing was just to go through life having good experiences. You want to go through life having, you know, since there isn't much point to it at all, just, just enjoy life as best you can. That was the Epicureans. The Stoics, on the other hand, said, thought, no, you know, there is no God, we don't, or if he is, he's irrelevant. So the best thing to do is to figure out the, 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 the flow of life and understand how this life is flowing. Make, understand it. Understanding of it is what's really important. But both those schools left God out of the, out of the equation. They just basically left God out. And, and Paul knew it. You know, life doesn't make sense when you think that you're the, the result or the product or the victim of blind chance. And if you leave God out of the picture, that's all you have left, essentially. The writer to the Ecclesiastes made that point. You know what the most written phrase in Ecclesiastes is? Under the sun. Because what, the, what Ecclesiastes tried to do is he tried to figure out life, tried to understand life 
But he said, under the sun, leaving God out of the equation. If you try to make sense out of life just without God, and that's where he struggled. And when he got to the end of it, of the, of it all, he said, with, if, if you try to figure out life under the sun without God in the equation, life is meaningless, pointless, chasing after the wind. And that's what we basically have in our secular society today. So, Paul tried to bring him back to God. And I want to pick up at verse 22 of Acts 17. So, he started discussing it with these leaders. And here, and they, they finally give him an audience. And here's what he said to them. So, Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said... Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in it, in it or does not live in temples made by man. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he's actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now, when he got to that, raised him from the dead, uh, the people, in, uh, the secular people he was talking to stopped wanting to listen. And they said, you've you got, you got to talk more about this at another time. But they, they interrupted him at that point. But what Paul did is he turned them back to God. And there's a lot of people in today's world that say, oh, I believe in God. But it's just sort of a, a tagline on their lives. They're not really thinking and behaving as though God matters much in their lives. See, it was G.K. Chesterton who said, the opposite of belief in God is not atheism. The opposite of belief in God is to believe anything or believe everything. You see, and that's what we're facing today. People are gullible, eating, taking anything and everything in. And what Paul did here and what we need to do today in our world is to call people back to the one thing, the one person who brings stability 
to life, and that's God. And so Paul started out by making it clear that this world is changing rapidly. This world is changing rapidly. By the way, by the way, just to think how fast things are changing. You know that phone you have in your pocket? Is way more powerful computer-wise than the most powerful NASA computer that they had back when they landed the first men on the moon. Who'd have thought it? Who'd have thought it? And so what we need to do is center our lives on God, and that's get the, the, the God-centered perspective or have the worldview of God. That's what a worldview is. It's to have God as, as, as the, the way we think. He, he the, he's the anchor point upon which everything else is made sense of. The, the, the prophet in the Old Testament said, come now, let's reason together. It's not, a just, not enough just to say, I believe in God, but we need to think, begin to think Christianly. And that's what Paul was calling his world to. To view the world through Christian lenses. And basically, a worldview simply answers a few questions. Who are we? Who is God? Why are we here? What's the purpose of it? And what's the problems that we're dealing with? And what's the solution to those problems? And where are we headed? And so Paul right away began, and he actually began with who is God. But for our purposes, I'm going to begin by asking the question, first off, who are we? Who are we? And he begins by simply saying, we're created by God. We're not simply the blind product of blind random atoms. We're not simply physical beings. We're created by God. Because of that, there's a purpose for us. Because of that, we're not simply the victim of blind, random actions. And the second thing he says is, he, he responds to is, who is God? Verse 24, 25, and 29, he begins to flesh out who is God. He starts out by saying, I'm, gonna, I'm using this, this idol to the unknown God. You know, they had said, they basically were superstitious folks, and they just thought, well, Maybe we've forgotten one. Just in case, we're going to hedge our bets. We're going to have this image, this statue to an unknown God, and you can throw a little allegiance to it. And Paul says, no, I want to tell you about this God. I want to, tell, I want to explain this God to you. And he takes him to the one true God, the one who is the creator of all that is, the one who holds everything in his hands, who, the one who gives purpose to everything that is. And the one to which all of us are ultimately going to be answerable. We're all ultimately going to have to give an answer for the moral decisions, the actions that we have taken in life. That's what he starts out with. And he says, God is the, the purpose the originator, and the end result of all of life. But he doesn't just stop there. 
He says, There's a pro- we all have a problem. We're all dealing with struggles and problems and issues and difficulties in life. But it's not because of random accident. Who would have thought a week ago that John Skibout's funeral would be coming in just a few days? But is that a random accident? According to Paul here, no, that God, God created us and He created us for a purpose and He numbers our days, our lives are in His hands and so this is all part of a plan, folks. That's what Paul is saying. That's why you can anchor, you can grab hold of God and this concept and, and hold steady in the difficult times, the times of turmoil and uncertainty and questions and where the world seems to be out of control. You can hang on to that. There's a purpose, plan. But we do have a problem. What's the problem? Well, Paul makes it clear in verse 30. We were created by God for a purpose, but we all have stepped away from that purpose. We've all turned away. We've all fallen into sin. We're all corrupted by that. And one day we're going to be judged by that, uh, on that. And the implications of, of him saying that he, in the time, in the past, God sort of ignored that, but now he calls all people to repent. He's saying, we all are responsible for our own stepping away from God and the glory of God and his plan. So he's saying that there, there's a problem, and that's, it's in our hearts. It's not our environment. It's not that we were raised in a bad place, as bad as, it, as your, your upbringing might be. So that's not the, the serious issue. That's not the, the, the bedrock issue. The bedrock issue is you and I have rebel hearts. That's the problem. But then Paul goes on to the solution. And he talks about it in verse 31, the last half, about he says there's a man that God sent who died, was buried, and he rose again. And it's in that man that our solution is to be found. Christ is our one solution. Not turning over a new leaf, not trying to be better people, but trusting in a Savior outside of us, finding forgiveness. And then he answers the question, what's our destiny? What's our destiny? Verse 31, it's eternity. He's made us for himself. And obviously, if there's going to be judgment, there is going to be, there is a place of reward and a place of penalty. That's the ultimate end of every human being. And he's saying, that's where we're headed, folks. And we need to make adequate preparations for that destiny by seeking the Savior, the, re- the Rescuer. You see, God is our friend. He's not simply there to penalize us. Paul is describing a benevolent God. 
who made us for a purpose, a good purpose, and then plans for us to share eternity with Him. Regardless of what you and I face in life, God's intention is to come alongside and walk through this, these struggles of life with us and to carry us when we cannot carry ourselves. That's what Paul's picturing here. And that's the anchor for our lives in these troubled days. Sometime back I ran across a video um, of an event that happened in the 1992 Olympics that I think pictures the character of God as it relates to us. There was a, an athlete, Derek Redman, from Great Britain, a black man, who was favored to win the 400-meter uh, sprint. He was favored at least to medal in it. And in the semifinals race that he was in, on the back stretch, he evidently tore his hamstring. Terrible, painful thing. And he went down. And then he decided he needed to finish the race. You know, I, you know what? We're all called upon to finish our race. And what I want you to see in this is out of the stands of some 65,000 that ended up applauding uh, uh, Derek Redman as he finished. He was the true winner that day. But out of the stands, a man fought through security, just pushed his way through security, forced his way out down onto the track. And, he, and the way he did it is he said, I'm his dad. That's my son. And I want you to notice what, his, what dad does when it gets to Derek Redman. Um, you can't hear it in this particular rendition of the video. But he says to his son as he gets to him, son, you don't have to, you don't have to do this. Finish this race. And his son says, yes, I have to. His dad says, okay, then we'll finish it together. Watch this.
matter what you and I are facing, no matter what setbacks we face, we come to in life, we trust in the Lord. He'll come to our aid. He'll come to our side and carry us through. Trust him. Live like you trust him. And then help as many other people trust in the Lord as possible. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, may Christ, you be the anchor of our lives. May we live our lives with that confidence that our lives are in your hands. And you have good plans for us. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.